This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. What will you choose? No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Real EFL League One podcast. So August is done and dusted as the season has moved from August into its second one. As September kicked off with plenty of talking points and headlines, which included a new set of surprise table toppers, another managerial sacking, daft red cards, late drama and so much more. And that's getting crammed into just one podcast plus the matter of speaking about all the matches that took place from the sixth match day in England's third tier. Alongside me, Matt Olsh, your host for this podcast, is one of my two guests and experts for this, and a man that you already know quite a lot about and have heard a lot from already, hailing all the way from Ireland. It's very much top of the evening to Johnny Hunt. I hope all is well. Good evening. How are we, gents? All good? Very, very well indeed. And also we have a debutant on this League One podcast. He's already been a familiar voice of the real EFL, albeit been used in a different way and in a different guise. But also to mention, he's a keen and ardent Peterborough United supporter. It's a big welcome to Keelan Sarson. How are you, Keelan? And uh, very good to have you on the uh, podcast. Yeah, I'm all good after the Johnson Clark Harris fiasco. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to delve into that, unfortunately, for myself. But uh, we will talk about that as well as plenty of other talking points. Of course, it was transfer deadline day just before the uh, first match day in September in League One. Now we have all the introductions out the way before we start. It's a quick message to say thanks so much for all the listens we have had to previous podcasts so far. If you are a new and a first-time listener, don't be afraid to rate us five stars on your chosen podcast platform if you like what you hear, as we will keep the content coming. Of course, only 11 games to discuss, not a full programme, unfortunately, on this podcast due to Cambridge v Reading taking place after this podcast has been recorded. So Johnny doesn't have to come on and get some things off his chest in relation to his <laughs> beloved Royals. So it's a Reading-free zone, this Yay. podcast today. <laughs> Much to the delight, as you can hear uh, from Johnny. Then uh, Let's kick things off then, shall we, as a new month starts, a new leader has emerged at the top of the League One table, and that is Exeter City, much to everybody's surprise, maybe including their own. Their one nil win at 10-man Burton at the weekend means they topped the table on goal difference. They lost 
Prior to this game, Sam Nombear, striker, was so key for them in the two years he was there. But it's not affected them because Ryan Trevitt's goal with around 15 minutes to play saw Exeter record their fourth win from their opening six games and top the table by goal difference. Steve Seddon's red card added to Burton's woes, who, of course, are still yet to win in the league this season. Um, Keelan, I'll go to you first. Has this start by Exeter surprised you in any way? Yeah, I think, obviously, as you mentioned, Sam Nombe went to Rotherham recently, who was a star striker for them. And in the summer as well, if you read off their departures from St. James Park, they lost Giovanni Brown, Archie Collins, Jack Sparks, Jamal Blackman. They lost a lot of that core squad last season that managed to get them around mid-table last campaign, which is a real success after promotion. And I think when you look at Exeter, they feel like a very forward-thinking club and a very stable club who have a plan in place. They brought in players like Rakeem Harper. And as you mentioned, Ryan Trevitt, who seems to have starred on loan from Brentford so far for the Grecians and got quite a late goal for them to get a win at Burton. But it just seems like a club at the moment that, that they know what they're doing. They're not panicking when, when major players go and they, they have a replacement in. And maybe Gary Caldwell, obviously prior Premier League connections, quite highly regarded at Celtic, brings a lot of Scottish players in, such as James Scott, who's done quite well early season. So I think at the moment, when you look at Exeter, it is a bit of a shock because no one thinks they're going to be sitting top of the league or in the promotion spaces. But it's a sign of a club that aren't panicking, really, and they're doing really well as a result of it. Yeah, I did say about Ryan Trevor, and I've got previous podcast evidence to say that he's a player to watch out for on loan from Brentford. He really caught my eye uh, when I saw them against Blackpool in that goalless draw early on in the campaign. Of course, you mentioned there, uh, Keelan, they are sort of a very stable club. They're fan-owned. You know, they are almost resigned every year to losing players, but maybe not as many as what they did. You mentioned some names there, Archie Collins, Giovanni Brown, Sam Nombe, who we touched on, was the last of the, the few players to go. Johnny, when you when you look at Exeter, it's a very you get the feeling it's going to be a very settled team. You know, you, if they get injuries to some key players, which you hope doesn't happen for their sake, do you worry that maybe they might fall off that cliff? That if the injuries arise, because it's a very small squad that is at Gary Caldwell's disposal. Yeah, I think, and it's happened before with them, isn't it? You know, they've had these runs where they've been, you know, the previous seasons they've gone, you know, close and then faded away. I guess that's the constraints that they have as a club as well. So, you know, with Gary Caldwell, listening to him speak, he's very, um, you can see why the players play for him so well. He, he has gotten very organised and he's just a manager who, who you can see installs that belief in that team to go out. And the game again on Saturday, like <clears throat> the game the week before against us, where, you know, 93rd minute winner Saturday, they, they you know, they could have gone behind, but they're very, resilient and very the defense is very organized Pierce Sweeney who's been around you know a good year, few years now and the keeper is superb and you know they they took the chance and that's that's what good sides do in this league isn't it I'm, I'm learning very quickly that you know you, you have to hold out and during games when you're under pressure see it off take your chance and that's what they've done you know and that's that momentum it's again you know start of the season top of you know top top of the league building that process winning the away games where Burton there you know it's a tough game beating us at home the week before they're doing what they need to do and then that that confidence will just continue to build through the season 
Yeah, they're showing as well, aren't they? That they're not doing it in sort of spectacular fashion. They're very no. solid. You know, as you mentioned, they won 1-0 against Reading. They haven't conceded many goals as well as not scoring many goals. So it's a good recipe for success down in Devon. Of course, they had to see their rivals last year storm uh, to the league title. So maybe is it too early for Exeter to maintain that? We shall see. They had 17 shots on the Burton goal, by the way. 62% of the ball, so really did dominate the stats in every single set. And of course, you mentioned the goalkeeper for Exeter, Viliami Sinisolo. He was on loan at Burton last year. Didn't really set the world alight there. So he got the last laugh by going to the perennial winning. Maybe troubling times could be ahead, though, for Burton as they still are winless. Uh, let's move on then to uh, the second of the 11 games. Leighton or nil, Stevenage three. Now, these two sides, of course, came up from League Two last year. Leighton or finishing ahead of Stevenage, but you wouldn't have thought that there was a, a short sort of difference between them in this fixture and the scoreline. Stevenage got the biggest result of the weekend, winning 3-0 against Leighton Orient. Richie Wellens, Johnny, said that he should have played some players who were a little bit taller um, when he had his post-match interview. I mean, when you play Stevenage, as you will now, seeing them against Reading, albeit Reading did beat them, they're a very tall side. They thrive. They love set pieces. I mean, I'd love to know a statistic how many defenders have scored for Stevenage since the start yeah. of last season. It feels incredible. Um, kind of touching on Exeter, really, that kind of question I said about how do you think they can maintain this run of form? Can Stevenage do it? Because, you know, they've very much had the success of last year and they've been able to translate it into this league. It feels like not many teams have really been able to get to grips with it. I really understand the way that Stevenage play. Do you think that they can keep doing this and almost have that consistent factor moving forward? It looks like, I mean, you know, the game against Reading, they had a player sent off and, and that, you know, they lost. But since, you know, since and before, that you know, go to Warrior 3-0, like three, I think I was, I saw that Orient had 68% of the possession. Uh, Stevenage, three goals in four shots. That's, like, and I know our, uh, I just, I think Gaz doesn't particularly like Steve Evans. I think we, we have established that on podcasts. He's, he's one of the, the kind of the guys that he's, uh, yeah, I guess for some people, like Marmite, isn't he? You know, you love him or hate him. But in the right club, in the right setup, he's a manager who gets the best out of his players. And, and you know, as a Stevenage fan, you'd be loving what he's doing. Um, how, how you do it, how you play. As a fan, you want your team to be playing well and, and winning games. So it, it's, you know, it's for other teams and other managers to work out how to play against them and to work out a way to win. Uh, you know, Orient, I was watching it. They had a, you know, a glorious chance to go 1-0 up. And the lad absolutely leathered it, hit the bar when, you know, a bit more uh, calm head probably would have put them up. But... You know, that's that's the sign of a good side. You know, they, if somebody doesn't take a chance, they go ahead and, you know, put the, you know, they, they killed the game. It was, you know, some clinical finishing um, and some good players there as well. They're not just a big, you know, solid team. They've got some good players. Yeah, I think the big thing here, Keelan, for Stephen, is that I noticed is that it really recruited well in the summer. Of course, you're going to know some of the players that they brought in. Dan Butler, of course, as well as uh, Louis Thompson, who arrived in through the door, as well as, of course, Nathan Thompson as well. You know, they have 
had the same sort of players from last year. Teashby Hammond, Cole Piergiani, Dan Sweeney, you know, just to name a few. Jordan Roberts, so key in what they did last year. On top of what they've added, you know, they haven't just bought in, you know, players who know League One. They've made some good loan signings, you know. Um, sort of Burns on loan from Manchester City. Feels probably like a good acquisition. Charlie McNeil's gone in his debut from Manchester United. That feels like, you know, I've, I've mentioned this quite a lot already, a recipe for success that looks like it could really be there for Steven. It's just a blend and everything. This feels like what exactly you need to build a good squad to have, to go well in League One because they are surpassing all expectations at the moment. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, as you mentioned, I was. I think the first thing that I was going to touch upon with Stevenage was, was the Charlie McNeil loan really highly rated at Manchester United and scores against Leighton Orient in one of his first games in a Stevenage shirt. But yeah, as, as, as I know, Dan Butler, Nathan Thompson, both signed from Posh to go to Steve Evans's men. And I think they're both signings that really give them experience as well as you say, the loans for the Man United and Man City players, they seem to have a nice blend of players and, and they're obviously playing for a manager that they'd run through brick walls for because they've got automatic promotion with him last season. And it's just continued nicely into this season, adding bits and pieces in. And as you say, it feels like a recipe for success at the moment. I know Steve Evans was linked with a job back in his native Scotland with Hibs. I'm not too sure what's happening with that. But Stevenage, it would be crucial to keep Steve Evans and keep the players they've got at the moment because they could, they could continue being a surprise team in League One. Yeah, and one of the goal scorers in that 3-0 win was Nick Freeman. He scored an absolute belter yeah. that hit the underside of the bar and in. And uh, it certainly is a candidate for goal of the season. So Leighton Orient downed at home. I mean, they had a big heavy loss against Portsmouth. So hopefully their home form can be turned around because everybody knows as a fan of a newly promoted team, home form is so, so key if you are to have a successful season. We now move on to Cholton 2, Fleetwood 1. Of course, Dean Holden was the unfortunate first sacking of any club at the EFL. He got the unfortunate sort of award as he was the first casualty in that aspect. His very next sort of game, or Cholton's next game, Scott Brown would then get the chop as the Fleetwood manager as they, his side were beaten 2-1. They only remain off the bottom because of Cheltenham's woes, which we'll touch on later. Um, obviously, we'll talk about the game, and then we're going to talk about Charlton's managerial search in Flip, because there's been a lot of news that's happened over the last sort of seven, eight days, and we'll get the immediate reaction from Fleetwood's point of view about sacking Scott Brown. Um, Johnny, this game on its own, it probably looked like it was Groundhog Day when Jaden Stockley, former Charlton man, scored for Fleetwood. Yeah. They must have thought... Why are we turning up again in during a loss? But then they turned He's it around with two another goals one. Yeah. from Alfie May. So yeah. they managed to, to turn it around massively. How important was it just for them to just get that victory, get that monkey off the back and maybe ease some of the pressure on the players and, you know, the responsibility of getting rid of Dean Oldham? Because if they did lose again, you know, there would have maybe been a lot more booze that would have ran around the valley than previously might what have happened. Yeah, well, I say like Stockley, he could have had two. You know, he hit the bar as well. And then I think, you know, Jason Pierce came out after the game and at half time, basically, he said he ripped into the players um, and got got a performance out of them. He realised, you know, that, that things weren't working. And that's a sign of somebody that the players respect um, at the club. And, like, you know, you've got a lad like Alfie May, who is a class striker. Um, the first goal... You know, they were, they were saying that you know they weren't the 
They weren't pressing enough and trying to play behind the defence. He was getting frustrated. They did it one time. Ball came through to May. May took a beautiful finish. Um, and, you know, that's what they wanted as a team. That's what he wanted. He's kind of put his mark on that club. Maybe we were talking about managers. Does he deserve a chance to be the next manager of Charlton? You know, that's he's got a result against, you know, he's a caretaker manager, sacks another manager. <laughs> you know, the way that football works is a cruel world. Yeah, I remember we, we spoke on the first sort of podcast, didn't we? And I said about Charlton don't tend to give managers time. And there's been a long history of that. You look over the last two years, Nigel Adkins has gone fairly early into his reign. Johnny Jackson has sort of gone early. Ben Garner went early. Dean Holden, they seem to start really well. And then as soon as they get one defeat, it just seems to really sort of slide down the other way. Obviously, there's been a lot that's happened in terms of Charlton's managerial search. Keelan, see Darren Ferguson was approached, turned it down. Dave Challoner, the Stockport manager, spoke to Charlton. He then turned it down. There's been links with Michael Appleton, Danny Cowley, which you'd expect for every job in League One that probably <laughs> crops up because of their status of obviously not having jobs. Where did Charlton turn to now? Because it feels like Keenan, they've tried every single solution over the last few years. It's quite an attractive club to walk into. Just new owners, you know you aren't going to get quite well back. We've seen with previous managers that have done that. It's a fairly big club. I mean, the the, the Valley itself is a, is a big stadium, you know, obviously. And Charlton have got a, a real sort of good history. Where, where do they go now for you? Because it feels like they've tried everything since they've been in League One and it's just not really worked whatever solution they've tried. Where do they go? I think when you look at the, the managers they're being linked with, there is a, there's a, a breadth of managers. Obviously, the Cowleys, as you say, gets linked to every single third-tier job under the sun. And rightly so. But I think that they might steer, steer clear of the Cowleys, not because they did poorly at Portsmouth, but there's a similar similar type job, Charlton and Portsmouth, and they did really mix there and it fell off for them in the South Coast. If I was going to you know, look at one of the names on the list, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Charlton gave us someone like Liam Richardson, who at Wigan had quite a turbulent club, quite a club that was, you know, you know at Wigan are very up and down and... I think if Richardson went into Charlton, he could stabilise things a little bit. And he deserves another crack at EFL management. He's been out of been out of a job since leaving Wigan, really well liked in those parts. So I don't see why Charlton wouldn't go for someone like Richardson. But as you say, it feels like whatever manager goes in there, they need to be given time because Dean Holden started well, some poor results this season and he's out the door. Whatever manager comes in next, they really need to give some time to to develop. Yeah, I mean, the next question I'm going to sort of ask you is, is is the decision right to get rid of Holden? I mean, take away this result against Fleetwood, excluding that in isolation. But I remember watching him against sort of Bristol Rovers and I just felt that there was a bit of a misidentity. Like, you don't really know what they were going to try and do and try and play. I think he had a good legacy of bringing young players in. You saw Simway, you've seen Karoy Anderson, Daniel Carnu, uh, I think has scored twice this season already. Uh, Ness has played at the back. So... You know, there is a good squad there. They made some really good signings in the summer. But I just felt like with Dean Holden, you didn't know what style of play they were going to do. You know, are they a passing team? Do they want to go forwards? You know, it, it just felt when they tried to do that, there was a bit of a mix of styles, a kind of a crossroads. And it just felt like when they did have possession, they were a little bit too slow. They didn't really go after teams. They tried to hang in there. And I know in League One now, it, you, you've seen, especially on this match day, not too many scoring games. And, you know, not like League Two where there's just, bonkers results in terms of the, the amount of goals being scored. 
it, it feels like to me that it's the right decision. And I did say as well on the first podcast we did preseason, I didn't think Dean Older was the right man for Charlton. I'm not trying to say that I've been proved right, but I just felt that it wasn't someone who was going to take them to where they want to be. Is the sacking right to do it at this time? And is it one that maybe you almost saw was going to happen? No, I think for um, it's a bit of a, a strange one because he's obviously been backed in the summer, probably got players that he wanted to bring in. But I think, as you say, he's a very, he's an inexperienced manager, was at Bristol City in the league above, didn't really pull up any trees with Bristol. And then he's he's also been at Stoke. And I feel like it was one of those that, as you say, when, when Charlton came down to London Road and played posh earlier in the season, Peterborough won 1-0. Charlton had a lot of opportunities, but when you watched them play, it did feel a bit like, as you say, they, they lacked a slight identity and a, and, and a forcefulness to their play. And I think Dean Holden, when he, when he got sacked, there was a lot of neutrals and fans saying how nice of a bloke he was, but it was the right sacking. And maybe Charlton needs someone who's a bit more proven and, a, and gets the best out of the players by, you know, as Johnny said, Jason Pierce at halftime gave the players a bit of a, a talking to. Maybe they need that instead of a manager that's maybe a bit too nice. It depends, doesn't it? If Jason Pierce does want the job, of course, as mentioned, he was a former player. I think he was a former captain of uh, Charlton Athletic. So possibly to see how it develops moving forward. But it'll be interesting to see how it develops at Fleetwood as well, because Scott Brown, as a result of that, was sacked as manager of Fleetwood Town. One point from six games, joint bottom of the table, only off there because of the situation at Chapter, which we will touch on to why they're at the bottom of the table. Johnny, obviously, he's been sacked sort of, not even 48 hours after a transfer window has ended. The situation of Fleetwood, we know their owner got jailed, Andy Pilly, for sort of uh, financial problems. And obviously they've had a new sort of acting chairman. It's been it's been a lot of turmoil, a lot of sort of tumultuous sort of comings and goings at, at Fleetwood this summer. A lot of people expected him to struggle. I did like Scott Brown's teams last year. I thought that they were always quite solid. So I always felt there was going to be four worse sides than them. But seeing the way they've played this season, are you surprised at all that he's been sacked? Because again, kind of going back to what I said about Dean Holden, it did maybe feel like it was a bit of an in inevitability that he was going to eventually get the axe. Yeah, like it's, I, I don't know what, you know, the, for, for these managers, how much time, you know, you, we're talking here, what, six, five, six games into a season and two are, two are gone. And it's like 46 game season. And so like the transfer window's closed. So anyone that's coming in now is going to have no choice with the players that they've got. He's going to have to work there. If maybe that they have someone lined up anyway to come in instead of Scott. But it's, it's like it's like his golden gamble, isn't it? Of every time you go for a manager, do you, do you go for the, the, the set ones that keep mentioned? I think we had the same ones mentioned at Reading for the whole summer. Willie... Um, that uh, Chris Wilder, Chris Wilder, Chris uh, Wilder. Yeah, <laughs> Chris Wilder, Chris Wilder, <laughs> but it's it's you know these same names. Is there other opportunities out there? Like we said about you know someone like Jason Pierce, somebody that's not been in the management cycle around these divisions for you know constant, constant. Someone new to come in, look at the club as what it is, but given the time to actually do what they need with the club, like. It's down to the people that run the club and work out what do they want. You can't, instant promotion doesn't just happen with the click of the fingers. 
you've got to let someone come in and, and look at the club and go, right, what's the style of football? What's the recruitment? Where are we heading? Is it a three-year plan, two-year plan, five-year plan? Whatever league, it doesn't matter, does it? You, you, you've got to have some responsibility. And, and like you talked about the Charlton, you know, the, the merry-go-rounds of managers there. At other clubs, it's the same. At us, it's been the same. It has to stop and somebody go, right, we actually believe in what you're doing. It may take a while. The fans need to know it's going to take a while. So let's look look ahead, you know. But what do I know? <laughs> Yeah, certainly some do say that it's a bit harsh. I mean, I look at sort of Fleetwood and it's a, it's very opposite to Charlton. We've mentioned sort of their problems at the moment and I don't want to offend Fleetwood fans, but it just doesn't feel like the most exciting proposition to take if you're an out-of-work manager. Now, I've seen the likes of Carl Robinson linked to it, Michael Appleton's name's cropped up again, which you would expect given, of course, it's a League One club. But I just, I just look at Fleetwood at this moment. I just don't think you're going to really try and, and sort of look like you want to take that job on. Because management now, especially if you're out of work, where you've just been sacked at a club, you know, especially in Robinson and Appleton's case, you want to go into a job where you feel like you can rebuild, be reborn again as a manager and, and get it right. I think, you know, with Fleetwood, if you have a couple of bad results and it doesn't turn around, things are going to kind of stay the same. And I kind of th- just thought about the point you made, Johnny, about how they... Maybe look at Jason Pierce for Charlton. You know, Fleetwood have been known down the years to try new managers. I mean, they had Joey Barton in charge, obviously led them to decent success before he left in sort of quite sort of controversial circumstances. And Stephen Craney uh, had the role. He's now, I think, involved in the youth side of it, kept them up by the skin of their teeth in the uh, 21-22 season. Then, you know, they've given the job to Scott Brown, uh, people like that. Graham Alexander sort of had it in the past, going back into the League Two day. So they are a club that is like that. I do feel like they might have to go down that road. Is that something you agree with? Or do you think maybe, no, you're going to have to try and get someone who's tried and tested because there's still a long, long way this season to go. And not even a third into it yet. Yeah, yeah no, and it's crazy. Like it's, it's you know, we've got six, say, six, six games. You've got, you've got to believe in someone. You've got to give them the chance. You've got to give them the season this season to go right what what is it we're going to do here what what do you want from this team is it a playing style is it a you know and getting younger players in is it getting you know what <laughs> you can't just go you know, I want you to win the league that's that's the ambition because it ain't going to happen if you're a team that's got a small budget and a small squad so look at what's realistic for that team and build you look at all the successful sides through you know league 2 league 1 that have gone up into the championship. Luton, who go, you know, going back to Luton as a classic example, was building season by season by season because the owners believed in the project and what they were doing, and it worked. But another owner or chairman or whatever you want to call would go, Oh, we haven't achieved it within this amount of time, so you're gone. And then somebody else comes in with a new idea, the same idea, different idea, wants this player, wants that player, and you start again. And then next time you start again and it, it, it becomes this kind of like a, I don't know, Ferris wheel of <laughs> football. It's just like we, you, somebody, somebody needs to take, you know, you, you have to believe in the manager, whether it's experienced or not. That's the model that you want. And, and whether it's off field recruitment in recruiting these managers, because like we've said here, like all the guys that get talked about for management positions, it's always the same guys, same guys, same guys. Where's different? There is different out there. There's, you know, you overseas, there's 
people not given a chance maybe in the youth setups, you know, somebody that you can look at and go, right, that's the, what we need to do. And we need to believe it's a club, but you know, it, it's, it's pressure and it's money, isn't it? It's, that's what, and success, that's what people want. Let's move on then to talking about Oxford 1, Port Vale 2. Oxford started this match day top of the table. They had four straight victories. It looked like they were really rolling, really cooking under Liam Manning. But Port Vale, how they brought them back down to earth. Oxford ended up with nine men come the end of that game. Mark Harris and Greg Lee were sent off. Greg Lee equalised in the 93rd minute. The game was pretty much just all happening in the second half. Mark Harris sent off in the 63rd minute. Alex Jakovic on his birthday put in Port Vale 1-0 up in the 74th minute. 93rd minute, Greg Lee <laughs> makes it 1-1. Then he gets sent off for two yellow cards. And then in the 99th minute, Alfie Devine, on loan from Tottenham, scores a penalty and a winner for Port Vale. I mean... Absolutely bonkers <laughs> game of football at the Kassam Stadium. Uh, Johnny, I mean, Port Vale, I mean, it's remarkable to think that they got absolutely hammered on the opening day, losing 7-0 to Barnsley. You, you're thinking as a Port Vale fan, oh no, we've got 45 more games and we're going to really be in for a season of struggle. And they've just not looked back. It's the only way's up, isn't it? I mean, they've won every single game, including Cup in, in the penalties as well when they beat Crew. And they haven't lost. It's been absolutely remarkable. What a turnaround it's been under Andy Crosby. How surprised have you been by it? It's it's about a manager who knows the league, isn't it? And someone who they they believed in him. Because none of them another owner would have gone, oh geez, that's it, you're gone. Ridiculous result, you're out of here. But somebody's gone, no, this is the person for us. The players believe in him, as you can see from the performances. Um and he's got Nathan Smith there, who's the, probably the best wind-up merchant as a centre-back. Did it to Andy Carroll Let it first. go, let it go, let it go. <laughs> no, but like a Nathan Smith one you know, um, against Harris. Uh, again, you know, there was obviously something going on. He obviously he gets into people's heads. It works, whatever that is. Like, it's... Crosby's got them playing for him as a team. Oxford away is a tough game. As much as I enjoy seeing two of their players getting sent off and them losing... <laughs> It's still tough, you know, but he to do that, like as a as a you know, player, you know, from a seven nil defeat where your confidence is gone and you're struggling, you know, to to change it around like that is remarkable, and that's what belief in a manager does. I think he's you know, not a huge budget, not a huge squad, but there's that belief. He believes in the players. He, he he's able to change things. He recognises when something needs to be done differently. And that's maybe that some of the issues with someone like Scott Brown, you know, that aren't as effective at game-changing when you need to have different done. We talked about Joey Barton, Rovers the other week, same issue. It's about watching what's going on on the pitch and, and reacting to it. You know, so it's... How long it will last for Port Vale? Who knows? But I think... He's 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 a very underrated manager at that level. You know that's what he does. He does well with smaller teams. You know that's that's him. You know and 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 the players believe in him. So long may it continue for them. Yeah, I mean it was a bold call for Port Vale to kind of stick by him. Of course, he was assistant to Daryl Clark. He helped uh, Daryl Clark sort of get the team promoted to League One. They didn't then stabilise. They had a real rocky period last year. I never felt like they were going to go down. So maybe looking at it, it might have been a little bit too harsh to sack sort of Daryl Clark. But then it does show that football loyalty and that 
doesn't really tend to exist in some cases. But, you know, he got the job. He, he stayed with it, of course. You know, they've got a, a lot of a younger team now. They made a lot of signings in the summer. A lot of those players are really at the ground running. Ethan Chislett's been very, very good. Yakovici signed, I think, from Ross County in the summer. Oli Arblaster on loan from Sheffield United has been a real good acquisition. You know, Keelan, we've we've kind of touched upon, you know, sides like Exeter and Stephen have been real surprise packages. Port Vale was certainly fancied by a few to be a lot better than those two teams. But, you know, given the fact that they lost 7-0, to not lose since then, and it be your first management job permanently for Andy Crosby, I mean, he, he needs a lot more credit than probably he's maybe getting or not talked about, surely, because, you know, that's that's a phenomenal feat to do that. Losing 7-0, you could easily roll over and almost just let all the bad happen. But... He's almost used it as a springboard to kind of get the team playing to how he wants. It's quite a remarkable turnaround, isn't it? It is a remarkable turnaround. I think, you know, the 7-0 defeat, I know they touched with Gaz and and the others on the first Real EFL, Real EFL podcast touched on it. It was a bit of a freak result in nature. Barnsley were very clinical in that match. But a lot of heads could have been down after that. And I think they've responded well. I think in terms of some of the recruitment, Connor Ripley in goal, I think was quite a shrewd acquisition. Obviously, concedes seven on the opening day, but he's been fantastic in goal. And in post-match interviews, seems really up for it and really pleased that he's in the building at Port Vale. And I think that shows you that Andy Crosby, after that 7-0 defeat, yes, he could have gone into that dressing room. He probably did lay into them and they might have needed it. And I think when you think Port Vale, you think of an organised team. Vale Park's quite a, a hard ground to go to. And you know, I can I can see it continuing. I think he's a really underappreciated manager, as you say, and clearly the players are playing for him. Well, we're four down, seven to go. We'll just take a little break as we get a word from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by the wonderful people over at NordVPN. The 2023-24 campaign is set to draw to a close, but the football never truly stops. With the Olympics, Euro 2024 and the new season set to commence in no time, make sure you don't miss any of the action wherever you may be in the world by downloading NordVPN. For just the price of one cup of coffee per month, NordVPN allows you to watch your favourite teams, players, shows and movies anywhere in the world, even if they aren't available in your region, simply by switching the location on your device to one which is showing the content. NordVPN also acts as your cyber bodyguard, protecting your personal data and other sensitive information such as credit cards and passwords from falling into the wrong hands, which is always a worry when you travel abroad. And with just one subscription to NordVPN, you can use the service across six different devices, which is incredibly handy if you're traveling with your family and or loved ones. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash real EFL. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support our podcast too. The link is in the podcast episode description box. So now, back to the podcast. Away days are great, especially when your striker bags a last-minute winner, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And do you know what? The same goes for McDonald's. Why not maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery? Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. So we now move on to the game at Fratton Park, unfortunately for you, uh, Keelan. Portsmouth's <laughs> unbeaten run continues. The best run in the entire EFL. 20 games it is unbeaten now in all competitions for Portsmouth and John Messina. So I don't know what it is about Fratton Park, but it doesn't matter if they score first, score late, or have to come from behind. They seem to just get a positive result at the moment. It's a real fortress, Fratton Park. 
obviously disappointing that you lost, first of all, but it's got to be even more of a gut-wrencher that, you know, you take the lead with Ricky J. Jones, who, of course, was leading the line in place of Johnson Clark House. We'll discuss about him later. Um, do you maybe think that it was it was a game that was kind of against the, the balance of the game, or was it a fair result in your eyes, given, of course, as well, that you played them four days ago in the League Cup and won on penalties? What, what was your assessment of the uh, game at Fratton Park, Keelan? It was a really, I mean, if you were a neutral at Fratton Park on, on watching it, it was a it was a really back and forth contest to start things off. And obviously I was there in the in the away end and watching it, Posh started really well, really fast with Kwame Poku and, as you mentioned, Ricky J. Jones. He's got a lot of flack from Posh fans for not being very clinical in front of goal, a lot of expectation on him because he's obviously risen through the ranks coming through the Posh Academy. Scores a really great goal, curls it past ex-Posh keeper, Will Norris, but I think what happened was Portsmouth had a lot of chances and they created a lot, and every we we pushed a lot of men forward, and it gave the likes of Christian Sadie the the loney and players experienced players like Marlon Pack were fizzing balls down the wing. I know Harrison Burrows has also got a lot of flack from the posh fan base playing at left back, not a natural left back. Gavin White, who was fantastic throughout for Ports have caused a lot of issues. And so that 1-0 scoreline felt precarious and then Colby Bishop scored. And then Romney Critchlow, I don't know if you've watched the highlights, has an absolute howler, misses his clearance. And in the blink of an eye, Ports have a 2-1 up. And that really, for me, that changed changed the complete complexion of the game. The Portsmouth fans were in fine voice when every single time at Fratton Park, they can really make an, a lot of noise. And, and it made the difference and... They got an early goal in the second half for Regan Paul, who was very composed at the back when Posh went forward. And I really, I really think Posh needed to capitalise when they want, went one nil up. Had a few chances because when Portsmouth got that equaliser, a quick one to make it two one, it it killed the game. Really, Posh lost confidence, and Pompey really started started performing really well. And they a lot of pace in their team. It was it was a, a really great performance from Portsmouth, unfortunately. Yeah, they are really flying at the moment. The only unbeaten side left in League One. And of course, for Ricky J. Jones, you've got to bear in mind the fact that there were two new strikers bought in in Malik, Mother Seal and Jacob Wakeling on top of, of course, the saga that dragged on with Johnson Clark Harris. We'll speak about that later on once, of course, we've touched on the Bristol Rovers and Lincoln game. Uh, Blackpool, they needed a performance and they got it beaten Wigan by two goals to one. They left that late. Uh, to win it, Jordan Rhodes signed on loan from Huddersfield. Quite a shrewd acquisition for any League One side. Put them in front to score his first goal uh, of the season. Wigan were then level in the 89th minute with Josh McGuinness uh, rolling back the ears. And then Kenny Dougal in the 94th minute would score for Blackpool. It was their first goal since their League Cup win over Derby in August. And they'd gone practically a month without a goal. They had only 32% of the ball. Uh, 68 was in Wigan's favour, so it's around about that figure, of course, never actually exactly known. But the XG for Blackpool, 2.18. So they created some fantastic opportunities. Ten goal attempts to Wigan's five. So there's certainly a lot more to like about the Blackpool performance after, of course, of what had been a real underwhelming few weeks where they had not scored. Of course, they were hit for five prior to that by Wolves in the League Cup. Whilst a lot of them would probably say, oh, we're not too bothered about that. It's never a nice feeling losing 5-0 at any level, and that was the case. So they're back to winning ways. Let's move on to Bolton 2, Derby 1. Now, a lot of people pre-season 
Johnny predicted this game to be the battle of the top two. Bolton would come out on top with Joe Waldsmith getting sent off in that game. Um, it looked like it was going to be a really even contest until that red card probably changed the game. Um, Bolton winning it, big important victory for them. I'll touch on Derby and what Paul Warren said in a minute. Um, just sort of describe the game if you can. Uh, and sort of how it went, because it was one of those where maybe, just maybe if Walter doesn't get sent off, we might see a different outcome. We might see both sides come away from the tough sheet community stadium, which I never will get used to saying, <laughs> with a point rather than uh, nothing for Derby's troubles. What was your thoughts? Yeah, like it, it, you, know, you can see that the two sides that are going to be up there at the end of the season, um, it, it, there was plenty of chances. Both sides... You know, play good football, um, but that sending off, the keeper was adamant he chested it. It, like, who knows? I, to me, but that that changed the game. Um, you know, and a side like Bolton, because they're they're, they're so well organised and they can close the game out. They got the second goal. That's what they do. Derby, you know, down to 10, even with all the, the players that they've got, Waghorn, Horahan, you know, Bolton, Bolton closed up. Didn't, you know, Derby really didn't have a chance to, to get back into to the game. You know, they were, that's, that's you know, a, a top side, in my opinion, in this league. Um, but I think we're saying, um, you know, Paul Warren, he made some kind of, Something about the transfer deadline day. Yeah, that it was he, a distraction. He said, yeah, it hindered. He said that it might have hindered his team in terms of the focus on the game being the deadline, being ending late the night before. Is that something you you share, or do you maybe think that that's sort of deflecting what's happened a little bit away from what's gone on? Because it's quite an interesting subject, isn't it? You know, it's got to be a hindrance, surely, not just for him. But for every club, the fact that deadline day, they've got to prepare for a game. It's a very short turnaround, trying to get deals done at the last minute. OK, we know analysts, we know recruitment, we know sort of there's different, you know, departments now at football clubs. There's still probably some clubs in the football league, in the league one, where the managers and staff coaching wise have a big sell on who comes in. So do you maybe think that they need to kind of rejig this, the, the transfer window, that it can't be done the day before a game when it ends? Or is it just... One of those, it just happens every few years. You just have to get on with it. I can't remember actually the last time there was a transfer deadline day, the day before a game. I could, you know, before a Saturday, you know, before a weekend regular game, which is kind of unusual. But like every other club had the same issue, you know. And obviously, I know it's still a sore point for you about a certain person not going to Rovers, which we'll touch on later. But that's mm. more of a hindrance than, you know, what. Warns going through with Derby there because you have to just look at the game that they were playing. The, the fact that you know guy got sent off and they lost the game. I, I don't see you know, if, if you're if you're letting something outside the match day hinder you as a manager, then there's something wrong because you're the manager of the team on the Saturday. Whatever eleven first team players you've got and your subs, that's what you work with on the day. You can't you can't go well. I you know. I was up late last night till 11 o'clock waiting for whoever to sign or didn't sign. And like, well, maybe get someone else to do it for you. Have a good night's sleep and come out tomorrow morning and get the team organised. It's just, a, it's a very weird thing to say. Would he have said it if they'd won? I don't think so. You know, that's, 
that's football, isn't it? It's, it's a bit bizarre um, for an experienced manager like him to come out and say that. Well, it was a case as that game. Three of the goals were two penalties. Connor Howrahan put, uh, put Derby in front. Dion Charles would score a penalty late in the first half. And then the winning goal would be an own goal from Tyrese Fawn. Of course, a man that Johnny uh, will know well. But, you know, kind of two things just to show. And it's disappointing probably that we didn't get the game that maybe the neutrals and League One fans expected. Because this is, as I mentioned, the battle of the top two to some people come the end of the season. Maybe overshadowed by that red card. So, obviously, if it was 11 v 11 for the old way through, it'd be interesting to see how the game went. And I think for Bolton, take away any signing, take away any outgoing, I think nailing down Dion Charles on a longer contract is massive business, given yeah. that Alex Neal was actually spotted at Bolton games as they were targeting a new striker. So, he signed a new deal, wanted to still be part of the Bolton journey that they want to take to the championship. And I do feel like they will do it come uh, the end of May. Let's move on to Carlisle 2, Shrewsbury nil. Big, important victory for Carlisle. They are on the board for a victory. I just saw the, the, the goal sort of before the show, and I don't think I've seen a team celebrate one as much as Joe Garner scoring that goal for Carlisle. It just felt like sheer relief, that monkey off their back, that itch, scratch, whatever you want to sort of associate with the sort of terminology around that. That's a big, big victory for Carlisle because I think the first month of the season, some of the performances have been quite underwhelming. They haven't really shown the attack and appetite, but Keelan, maybe, are we now going to start to see the real Carlisle? Because as we know, one of the reasons why they did get promoted was defensively they were strong, but maybe it's not quite worked, tweaked a few things, and you know they've managed to get a victory against Shrewsbury, winning by two goals to nil. Yeah, as you as you say, I think that was the, the first time Carlisle had even scored a goal since the third match of the season. They'd been really toothless in recent matches, and I think they've still got that defensive resilience. And yeah, watching watching the highlights before coming on the podcast, it, the Joe Garner goal—it was absolute pandemonium in, in the in the Carlisle in the Carlisle home ends. And it's a veteran striker in Joe Garner. He'll probably get a few goals for Carlisle. I know they've been slightly disappointed with the loan signing of Luke Plans, who's not really hit the ground running and looks. I know he missed a, a missed a chance in in the first half, but Shrewsbury have been were wasteful in that game as well. They had two chances in the first half. But I think Carlisle, you know, the lack of potency was was something that was needing to be addressed. And I think in that game, they took their chances and they were aided by quite a fortunate own goal early into the first half that, that really got them going. But no, it was a, a good win for the Cumbrians. We're now going to move on to Bristol Rovers 1, Lincoln 1. Bristol Rovers were able to get a late equaliser with Josh Grant after Adam Jackson had scored for Lincoln. The home form as of 2023 has been really poor for Bristol Rovers. Only two wins in that time. Cheltenham and Charlton both beaten last year. So we've stopped the rot in terms of the defeats. But again, it feels like the same old story. Cambridge and Wickham done it in the previous games. Letting Rovers have all of the ball. 70% possession again. We've only had one point out of nine to really show for it. So it feels like to me a little bit that Rovers are probably one of the most easiest teams to read in League One in terms of sit back, soak it up, let them have the ball and try and hit them on the break. You know, we're, we're not keeping clean sheets. We haven't done so this season. Yes, we're trying to stay in games. Yes, we're not seeing the game sort of run away from us. But I just feel like there's there's no real sort of potency. And I feel like the players are getting a little bit restricted. Certainly the Wickham game, I can't speak for Lincoln, but, you know, players like Sam Finley and sort of Giovanni Brown, they were playing in the roles. The team selection was fine. It's just the managers kind of stifling them a little bit. And that's what's really 
kind of frustrating, but it's a decent point against a very solid Lincoln side. And I'm not saying that Lincoln did this because it was Bristol Rovers, but certainly, obviously, I can't speak because obviously Gaz and, and, and Chris are obviously very big Lincoln supporters, so they would have maybe have certainly kept closer tabs and they could certainly speak for what Lincoln play like, but they are very much like that away from home. Certainly last year, they would be quite resolute, quite defensive, play the low block and look to strike on the counter-attack. And uh, obviously they, they were able to get a decent result from the Memorial Stadium. But we did mention we're going to talk about the Johnson-Clark-Harris saga because it was one that probably had a lot of eyebrows raised. Certainly Rovers fans, of course, they agreed. A club record deal of around £800,000 to a million to sign him back. Personal terms were agreed. The player was actually at Bristol Rovers. And then it has emerged that they didn't sign him on deadline day because they missed the deadline by around 50 seconds. Now, there's two contrasting views here. I'll get the Bristol Rovers point of view, then the posh uh, sort of point of view. So it's basically a case of what do you want to interpret each sort of way. Bristol Rovers put a statement out. They said uh, that the EFL representative confirmed that the contract was rejected uh, for Clark Harris. It basically said that the player and his representatives, whoever, made late changes to the deal being prevented. So the goalpost being moved, which I don't believe is the case, having sort of known what the story was throughout the day. Uh, it, it feels like it's more of an admin error from Bristol Rose's point of view. That's how I see it. And I've read what Darren Ferguson said, and he would say that because the player is still at Peterborough. And obviously, Clark Harris hasn't got his move back to Bristol, where some of his family are. Obviously, where he was loved in his first start. Didn't get that goodbye. And I do believe from the footballing side of things, it would have been the missing piece in the jigsaw to take us from sort of there to potentially right up there. But it's not to be. And that is going to really hinder us now, the fact we don't have that regular goal scorer. So that's the Rovers' point of view. The Peterborough point of view, if you could try and dim it down, Keelan, sort of what Darren Ferguson said, because obviously Clark Harris was not in the matchday squad against Portsmouth, obviously, as expected, because it was a horrible late deadline day of to and in fro and for him. Just kind of give what Darren Ferguson said, because it's really well broken down about the whole transfer saga and sort of the timeline of events. Yeah, so it sounded like, obviously, Clark Harris travelled down with the posh squad and it, there was a lot of goodbyes in the camp and Clark Harris was, I think you see he was getting a taxi over to Bristol to, to do negotiations quite early on. And as you say, it seems like a, a mess up on the Bristol Rovers end, as, as Darren Ferguson said, and there's a last minute deadlines they've not met. And I think he, he said as well, that there was a window where they could have been given an extension, but they missed that as yeah. well. And there just seems mm -hmm. to be a whole catalogue of errors from, from Rovers, which you probably don't like hearing. But as you say, Darren Ferguson probably will say that because he, he doesn't want, obviously it sounded when he was talking that Clark Harris is, is gutted about not being, given a move to Bristol Rovers. As Posh have played this season, Clark Harris hasn't really been that prominent figure. It looked as if we were moulding a team, not necessarily for him to fit in with the two new young striker signings. So it's just been a, a massive saga and one that you imagine will, will in January, it will, it will come back up again. Yeah, and it's just a shame. Just I'm just going to leave this point here that we, we had a player of his ilk at our club and it was kind of in our hands and it's just like slipped through the net and it's just hard to comprehend because it's our own doing. It's nobody else's. You can't play the hard done by it when it's your own sort of digging of the grave, if you like, this sort of caused the issue. And it's a real shame. It's a real sort of kick in the gut. Probably the low, lowest feeling that I probably had as a Rovers fan in a long, long time. But we'll move away from them. We'll talk about another side in the sort of West Country in Cheltenham Town. Bottom, 
only one point to their name. They're still goalless. I think when they actually score, we're going to have a jingle or something because it just doesn't look like it's going to happen. They're beaten 2-0 by Barnsley. We don't like talking about managers in jobs with the threat of the sack, but this does feel like, Johnny, that maybe Wade Elliott, if this continues, is not going to be seeing any more of the season or, any, or much more of it anyway. It does look real bleak times for Chapman, doesn't it? Yeah, like I, I, was, I was watching his his post match interview there, and like you know, it's like a guy that he just doesn't know what to do. It, it's you're just not getting the breaks when your luck's down. Your luck's down, and and like you know, they, they had chances in that game, like they had a few chances where the keeper made some good saves, but then the goal, the first goal, it was like kids football where on the counter attack, they had a corner, guy cleared, four players v one. You know, and like you can't you can't account for that when you when you're struggling as a team, and then you know then you're chasing the game. They're in the game to that point. You know they were matching them, but then you know when a team that hasn't scored in now what I think it is ten hours without a goal. I think is the the stat. I could be wrong. Something ridiculous. You know, and and now he's brought in. There's three I think young players. That he's got in on loan uh, from sort of Premier League and Championship clubs, uh, Jovan Malcolm, Nathan Butler, Oyeji, um, who that's what they're kind of hoping will, you know, maybe one of these young lads will be this kind of diamond that will do something. Obviously, because they can't recruit at a level of a Derby or a Bolton for getting the top players, you know, because of the club they are. And that's no offence to, to Cheltenham either, but, you know, it's, it's what you work with. Hopefully one of them will, will come through for them that will give them, you know, those goals because it's we, we've, every week I think we've talked about it on here. It's like they hope they get a clean sheet and, and nick a win. It doesn't happen, you know, and, and like it's, it's, it must be hard for fans of the club to watch where, you know, you, you just... It's not from lack of effort. It's not from a lack of organisation. It's not from a lack of um, opportunities. It's just not happening. And sometimes for a manager, it sometimes just needs a fresh look, doesn't it? Somebody else coming in. You don't want to see anyone lose their job. But when the club's where they are at the minute after six games, uh, winless, just with one point, and you don't see change, you don't see something going to happen like get you know other clubs that have been struggling get a get a good result and it kind of kickstarts their season you're still mm. waiting for that to happen for them and yeah you know look look they'll probably go against reading and beat us <laughs> someday down the line but that's a long <laughs> way away um you know it, it, it's 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 hard to watch because you don't you don't get any enjoyment as a football fan watching a team struggle at that level where they just can't seem to get a break um, you know, again, we can go on the manager managerial merry-go-round about who would do what with the club, but it, it's tough. It's hard to watch. Yeah, because I almost feel like, especially kind of touched on that second goal, they've thrown the kitchen sink, they've yeah, thrown yeah. everything to put that ball in there. And you can't really, if you're a Cheltenham fan, have a go at the fact they've kind of conceded that second goal because they are trying to score. Yeah. It, happen you put a bad ball in you run the risk of you know what was it four or five players forward for Barnes it's a great finish by the way from Max Waters to, to kind of put it in but at least there's some sort of signs but you know it's only signs they haven't got anything to show for it still no goals they're the only side 
in the entire EFL, I think the entire top five leagues in England that are yet to score a single goal. So you really got to start begging the question. And I do worry for Wade Elliott. You know, he, he was a Cheltenham legend as a player. I know legend's a bit overthrown these days in, in football, but, you know, is he someone who can kind of, with that backup plan, kind of think of what you were saying, Johnny? You know, I'm I'm not 100% sure. You know, they've, they've relied on loan players. They've got seven in total. And obviously, you know, you're only allowed five in the match day squad. Now, who are the two they're going to not put in there? So it is interesting to say the least. And I must admit, they do look like they could be real cast adrift at the bottom. And that is why, of course, why Fleetwood aren't at the bottom of the table at the moment because of Cheltenham not scoring. Uh, Keelan is touching on our final game. Northampton nil, Wickham won. Of course, they managed to beat Peterborough. Won't bring that up. Last week uh, in the uh, win at Sixfield with that bizarre goal from the uh, butterfingers of Nicholas Bilikovic, as you can see. Right, if you're watching it, Keelan sort of shaking his head. I still don't know how that goal's gone in. Um, <laughs> Wickham, two away wins on the spin. Seems as though set pieces might be one of the key things to goal. They scored a set piece against Bristol Rovers, one or two in their win. Richard Keogh, vast experience centre-half, a name that everybody, I think, listening to this podcast knows all about, got the winner at Sixfields. Um we spoke a lot about Northampton in previous podcasts, certainly when the guys have obviously done it, the other ones, you're at Adam, Chris and, and Gaz. They talk about how Northampton have been a real organised unit. And I think defensive, they were so strong last year. I think they might have had the most clean sheets, I think, in League Two. And I do say think, so I'm not 100% sure on that. But, you know, they, they lost to a Wickham side, as, as, as Johnny kind of said, and I spoke to him sort of on Saturday night last week, the... They're kind of still in the Ainsworth mould a little bit, but trying to influence some things at Bloomfield. So they're kind of stuck in the middle, but seemingly they're getting the results. It's seemingly working. Um, what was your interpretation of, of Northampton when I guess you would have definitely seen the game at, at Sixfield sort of last weekend? Are they a side that for you, you think are, are more than capable of, of surviving? Or, or do you think that they are a little bit more than probably what a lot of people think of maybe being a bit gung-ho, maybe being a little bit direct and just that defensively solid side. What, what's your sort of impressions of them? Yeah, no, I think John Bray's done a, a really great job at Northampton. You know, Posh and Northampton rivalry aside, he's, he's done a really great job at the Cobblers. And, you know, the game against Posh, we didn't take our chances. And when you get, you know, you know luck swung in the favour of, of the home side and Nikis Bilakapic, as you as you mentioned, spills it into the net. But I think in this game versus Wickham, you know, they had so many golden opportunities, goal, chances that you would expect to go in more than the, the bit of Capit era and they somehow didn't find the net. And Wickham gave gave a, a very much a Gareth Ainsworth-style performance at Sixfields. Richard Keogh bundled it into the net, the, the experienced defender. And they rode their luck, really, because I thought Northampton were quite wasteful. Tyree Simpson, the new boy that they've got in at Sixfields, powers a header over late on after a great cross into the box. But when you watch Northampton, they, they do look an organised team. They've got some really decent players for the level, Hoskins and, and Leonard in the centre. And they are a very organised team. I just think in certain matches, as you saw against Wickham, the more experienced League One side manage to get the goal and they get the win. And I think Northampton in matches are just going to have to to take their chances a bit better. 
I think we're going to see, though, with Wickham that they're going to adopt this approach away from home. They're very, very different when they played at home. I mean, they played Burton. They had umpteen chances and they, you know, couldn't score. And obviously, they, they couldn't hit a, a cow's backside with a banjo if they tried. But, you know, they've obviously gone away. They don't have many chances. As you mentioned there, they had nearly four times the amount of shots that, that Wickham had. But there's, there's something about them that it can really work. And I think a lot of teams are doing this in League One, aren't they? Where they're, they're trying to build that real defensive base and being solid. And it is working. You know, it's working for Exeter. Cambridge have seen good results work that way. It's seemingly working for Wickham. Do you maybe think that kind of this division might see a team away from home that kind of has not a lot of the ball, camps in, sits in, and is just defensively so, so strong? Is it that kind of year where someone maybe kind of has that way of, of getting promoted, perhaps? Was it a little bit too early to read into? Because it just feels like maybe a lot of sides are adopting that same sort of approach, especially away from home. Yeah, as you mentioned, I think Exeter have have kept up team clean sheets so far and have a, a really experienced, uh, you know, back line and Pierce Sweeney and Alex Hartridge who have, who have stuck by and stayed at, with the Grecians and, you know, Cambridge as well are very defensively solid and, and Wickham as well. You expect defensive solidity from from the chair boys so I think as you say I think that's the issue I'm not obviously going back to my own team in, in Peterborough we've leaked seven goals in the last two games and that is that can be the difference between being a team that's right up there or a team that, that falls by the wayside and I think you've seen it with Wickham in the past under Gareth Ainsworth very defensively solid managed to go up to the championship and I think you need that you need two sides to your game you need Obviously, you need goal scorers and, and creative play to get those goals. But at the same time, you need that defensive resilience and that, you know, going away from home, getting a 1-0 win and then going again. And I think, as you say, we might see a team, a surprise team up there at the end of the season. Well, of course, we can't cover Cambridge Reading because, of course, that's taking place after this podcast has been recorded. So we've gone through all 11 matches and we are now done and dusted for match day six in League One. Thank you to uh, Kellen Sarson, uh, sorry, Keelan Sarson, I should say, uh, and to Johnny Hunt, of course, for their wonderful uh, contributions uh, and expert knowledge on all things third tier remember to give us a rating of five stars on whatever your podcast platform is and please do keep the listens and sort of numbers up we really do appreciate it and we will keep coming up with good content and good features from every podcast for you to listen on have a great rest of your week and we'll see you and hear from you again very very soon bye for now It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching your team on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share box on the go. And you know what? Your mates already got booked for double dipping. But then late on, you steal in, grab the last nugget and snatch all three points. Perfect. Why not order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app? Are you in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.